Okay. Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 tonight. And of course, gap class and teens are dismissed. Acts and I think discipleship as well. Uh, Acts chapter 13, I want to continue a series that I kind of started this summer and uh, kind of the evening services that I preached in the scatterers, of course, out of Acts 8 and uh, verse number 4. Of course, we know Saul wreaked havoc on the church and people would leave uh, and scattered all over. And because of that, the gospel was spread and God used Saul uh, to help actually spread the gospel more than he ever would have known. And uh, tonight we will continue that on and really kind of see that scatterer salt. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul, and we'll look at Acts 13 and just the first five verses tonight. And I hope you're glad you're in church tonight. I, I'm excited about this truth. I hope it will be help to you, and that's my heart. If you have found it and you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet to stretch one last time. And also in honor of, of God's word, uh, the Bible says in Acts 13, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these good people coming out tonight. Lord, I know the weather is, isn't the most desirable, Lord, but we're thankful for those that are here. And Lord, our children and all those who are helping out on that wonderful ministry and investing in the next generation, our teens and our young adults, and Lord, of course, our discipleship, and then those who are here again here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll please help us as we open up our hearts to your word. Lord, I know you have something for us, and if nothing else, we can learn something from you, maybe something we've not seen before, or maybe something that we need today, or maybe we're reminded of something. So I pray that you'll flow through me, as I always ask. Lord, I realize I am nothing, and you are everything. And Lord, I pray that I'll get out of the way, and you'll just do what you would have for us tonight. Uh, We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A mother was preparing pancakes one day for breakfast for her sons, and the one boy was Kevin. He was five years old, and the other boy was Ryan. He was three and the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Of course, they were ready, uh, they were hungry, and they wanted it hot. And of course, as that pancake uh, came off the griddle, the mother saw an opportunity for a moral lesson. And she said, boys, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And so the boys looked at her, and Kevin, the older, turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, how about you be Jesus today? And, uh, of course, we see someone who had a hard time giving up. And sometimes we as a church can have a hard time giving up volunteers and workers or in ministries. And uh, we learned in uh, the missions conference that our church's greatest accomplishment is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. But I believe if we are sending, 
uh, and supporting missions, God's going to continue to bless his church as well. And how does this process happen? How do people get sent out of churches? How, do, how does the gospel continue to spread? Uh, most of our staff that we enjoy here at Grandview is a direct result of other churches sending. And so tonight we get to enjoy that. And though I don't push for people to leave our church, but if God leads them and wants them to continue their ministry and to grow and maybe pastor one day or be a missionary, there needs to be a process that people go. And that's what happens here at this church. And God had blessed the church of Antioch in a great way, but he had risen up two particular men out of this church to send forth and go and minister in other parts of the world. And of course, tonight we see uh, the compassion for the coastal cities of Cyprus. And really a thought tonight is the biblical journey for those who want God to use them. And really it's the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And tonight maybe you are newer to our church and you want to make an impact or maybe you want to fulfill your purpose. Well, I believe this message will help with that tonight. Maybe tonight you lead a ministry and have a hard time sharing volunteers or maybe possessing some and God's moving or working in their heart to maybe go to another part of the church ministry. And maybe this will help you tonight. Maybe there's some who wonders how the Holy Spirit leads and directs us today. Well, I believe maybe this message could help you. But maybe there's someone who would wants to know what it takes to get the gospel through the local church to impact a greater region, as this church has done. But maybe tonight you say, I don't know if any of those things help me. Well, maybe you can just become more knowledgeable about this passage. And you can walk away with something that will help you tonight. And so, tonight, as we look at this thought... What is the process, the biblical journey for those that God wants to use? If I want to just give you four quick thoughts. Number one is the process of the local church. The process of the local church. The Bible says in verse number one now, they were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so we see the call of Barnabas and Saul. They're working in Antioch as prophets, as teachers. No doubt they're ministering to people. They're reaching people with the cause of Christ. They're sharing the gospel. They're teaching. They're helping disciple and grow because that was just the nature of Paul and of Barnabas. And of course, Barnabas has been there probably since the beginning. He had probably helped start the church in Antioch. And so he has been there for a while. He's loved on people. He's cared for people. No doubt many people sitting in the pews each week, he maybe had helped influence or help teach or help lead to Christ or maybe to take that next step in their Christian walk. And God started working in their hearts. And I think it's interesting that some of these teachers, of course, Simeon and Niger and Lucius and then Manan, and it says there, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And this phrase always uh, humors me. Herod the Tetrarch killed John the Baptist. The Bible says he'd been brought up with Saul as well. Saul had wreaked havoc in the church. Could you imagine your graduation class? You know, who was the most successful? Well, I killed John the Baptist. Well, I, I killed many church, uh, Christians, and I wreaked havoc. What did you did? 
I helped start a church in Antioch. You know, it's like, oh, okay. And so, but it's, it's just interesting how God uses some of these men, and Manan was one of them, but they were separated by the Holy Spirit for the work which he had called them. The Bible says in verse 2, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas. And Saul, for the work there, unto I have called. So we see the word separate. And this simply means that they, can, they had dedicated themselves for what God wanted them to do. And when we dedicate ourselves, our time, our money, and talents for God's work, God says, okay, now I can use you. And there's something about learning God's word. There's something about spending time with God. There's something about serving the Lord and giving. And God says, hey, I want to use you to do something more for me. They were sent out by the church with fasting and prayers and laying of hands in verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Brian Bell says, fasting often makes us more sensitive to the Spirit's leading. There's something about fasting that God can get involved in that. And Precept Austin says this, the church at Antioch's prioritization of presentation of themselves to God gives us a wonderful pattern which will aid us in discerning the will of God for our life in his church. So notice the pattern here. In verse 1, you see they were holy ministering. In verse 2, they, they're separated uh, from the unholy. And then they're transformed by the word and the Holy Spirit. They then have a renewed mind. And now they're able to discern God's will in specific situations. So there's something about getting in the local church, hearing the preaching of God's word, being discipled, hearing the teaching of God's word, spending time with God on a daily basis, giving God your time, your talents, your treasures, and saying, all right, God, here I am, and I'm growing, I'm developing. And God says, okay, now I can use you for exactly what I want you to do. Brian Bell says, opportunities come to those who serve. And as we'll see later, opposition comes to most opportunities. Have you ever noticed that before? Got a great opportunity! And then you can also have a great opposition as well. And uh, the missionary call came when they were busy serving the Lord. I remember uh, years ago when, of course, I can't imagine what Paul and Barnabas may have felt here. I, I imagine they were a little bit... Uh, sad they had to leave, not because they weren't excited for God to use them, but they had probably built great relationships there. They had probably loved on people. They probably had ministered to people. And now they had to leave this group of people to go to a new area and start afresh and, and probably struggled a little bit with that. I remember when I left for Bible college, I really wrestled with it because I had, I had loved my ministry I had at my home church. I'll never forget my pastor coming to me one day and he goes, you're struggling over this, aren't you? I said, yes. I said, I know I'm doing what God wants for me to do, but, but, but I'm going to leave all this. And he goes, well, that's a good thing. I said, what's good about it? He goes, if you weren't sad to leave, that means you weren't impacting and influencing people for the cause of Christ. He said, don't worry. When God sends someone, he always raises someone up to take their place. And so I still remember that today. And if you want God's direction, get busy serving, and he'll show you the next step. So, Guzik says this, Any group of Christians can send someone, but if the Spirit doesn't send them, it won't amount to eternally effective ministry. Gangle says this, 
Though Luke does not tell us, we can safely assume that the Antioch congregation continued to pray for the missionaries and thank God for selecting them. They weren't trying to keep hoard them. They were thankful. I think of our missionary, our church planner to Alaska, uh, Kenny Menendez. You know, I, I, I got his prayer letter today. I prayed for him. I thank, thank God for him today. I'm thankful, as he, menaced, as he wrote there in his letter, he said, uh, we're able to, I think, see 30-some visitors this, this month, and uh, I think close to that many people saved. And he goes, we sure do love the people God's given us to minister. And that's just a wonderful thing. And that no doubt happened here when Paul and Barnabas leaves. The church is still thankful for him. And history says this, that 400 year, 350 years later, after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, Antioch became the world center for Christianity. In fact, Ibid said this, by 400 years after the death of Christ, 100,000 Christians had come to know Christ out of the church of Antioch in that area. And so it didn't hurt them too much to send people as well. And so we see, first of all today, the process of the local church and how they helped get them going. But then second of all today, I want us to see the persuading of the Holy Spirit. The persuading of the Holy Spirit. What caused Paul and Barnabas to know where to go? How did they know where to go? They felt the Holy Spirit pulling on them. They Like there was something more about How did they know where to go? Well, the Bible says in verse number four, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. Seleucia was about 16 miles away from Antioch. Brother Cole, would you have that picture by chance? Okay, if you can put that picture up there. And uh, I want us to just see uh, uh, the missionary journey. I don't know how good you can see it. But Antioch is here under Cappadocia. It's to the right here of the picture. That's where they were. And they start to Seleucia. You can see Seleucia there. That's 16 miles away, not too far uh, from, from from where it is. I'm sure to them it still took them a little bit to get there. Um, but in AD 48, they leave to go to Seleucia, which is a port on the Mediterranean coast. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus was 130 miles away from Seleucia. So it's a big island there. And that's where they go first. And they go to Salamis. Now, why did they go to Salamis first? Well, it's pretty obvious. That's the only big port probably to sail into. Okay. And so we see the Holy Spirit caused them to go. But they go to Seleucia. Then they go to Cyprus there. And Salamis, as we'll see here in a little bit. But why did they go to Cyprus? Well, there was a strategic plan to it. Jack Arnold said, this is a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility at work. God called and sent the missionaries, promised them blessings, the missionaries then prayed and went where they felt like it made sense to go. And so they went. In fact, they go to the same place where Barnabas is from. Acts in chapter 4, verse 36 says, And Joseph, who by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. So Barnabas says, hey, let's go back to my hometown. Now, he helped start the church in Antioch. Perhaps, maybe as we'll see later, he was influential in the church of Cyprus getting going. So he could have been going back to help disciple 
uh, some of the uh, command and train some of the people who'd already led to Christ, help check on the churches there. And so they go back, and of course Paul goes with them, the Holy Spirit led them, the Bible says in verse 3. They also followed the communication routes of the Roman Empire, which made travel easier. Most of the roads they went were Roman roads, which were even paved, or, or very nice roads, and much easier to travel. And they visited key population and culture centers. Why? Why did Paul go to key cities? Because he wanted to reach as many people as possible. That was just Paul's heart. And they were commanded by Jesus to go to the Jews first. So, as we'll see, they went to synagogues in Cyprus first. In fact, they went to every synagogue, as we'll see later, in Cyprus. Which, of course, Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. And so Paul knew what the commission was. And so he leaves uh, Antioch. He then goes to uh, 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 Seleucia. And then he goes to Salamis. And now he's in Cyprus. Now, what was another reason perhaps they went to Cyprus other than Barnabas was there? Well, that brings us to number three. If you're writing tonight, we see the potential of Cyprus. The potential of Cyprus. Now, why did he go to Cyprus? Well, Geographical facts is it's 43 miles south of Asia Minor. And as you'll see on that picture earlier, it's 76 miles west of Syria. It's the third largest island of the Mediterranean after Sicily and Sardinia. And the island has two mountain ranges, one on the north coast about 3,000 feet elevation. The other on the south coast about 6,000 feet elevation. I imagine perhaps it was similar to our Willamette Valley, Cyprus was. Of course, the coastal range, and you have the Sierras, probably was a lot like this. And uh, Swindle says it was a lush crops, rich with minerals and precious metals. It was a favorite stopover for merchant ships sailing the Mediterranean Sea. It's only 60 miles off the Syrian coast, and so it had become a refuge for many Jews 60 years earlier. What Swindoll is saying is the Jews had fled part of the scattering by Saul. And now they find themselves in Cyprus. They find themselves in a very productive area. An area that's very lush and green. An area that was very bountiful. And they are doing very well. But they also have built these synagogues. The synagogues were the place where their community was, and it was a place where they could come together and not be too impacted by Roman influence and Greek culture, and so they would keep that together. And that was similar to what is even done today. And it was a place where it was kind of protected, maybe some of their children and teens from worldly influence, and and that's kind of what had happened where these Jews would go. And so Paul understands he's supposed to go to the Jew first, And then also to the Greek, the Bible says. And so he's going to the synagogues and he takes Barnabas. Of course, Barnabas is going to his hometown. So he obviously knows this island very well. He knows where all the synagogues are. It's just a natural place to go. So when the Holy Spirit led them, they also were strategic with it. And they went to the natural places to go. William Barclay said this, though, about Cyprus. It was known for its copper and silver melting, but was even more interesting was it was a Roman province famous for its shipbuilding industry. It was sometimes called Macaria, which means a happy isle, because its climate was so perfect and its resources so varied that it was possible to find everything necessary for a happy life there. 
So Barclay was essentially saying was, Cyprus was the dream place to go. It was like a resort area. Everything you needed. Your food, the perfect weather, just like Oregon, you know. Perfect weather, has the wood for ships, it has uh, the bountiful valleys to grow stuff. It has all, I mean, it was just a great place to be. And in a sense, what Barclay was, was saying was, when Paul and Barnabas went there, they weren't necessarily looking for the gospel. Their lives weren't that miserable, weren't that bad. And when Barnabas preached at Pathos, the capital city of the island, as we'll see later, or actually on Sunday night, Pathos was notorious for its worship of Venus, the goddess of love. So uh, what was interesting about Cyprus was it was, it was a dark place because there was much uh, 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 evil worship, but it, but it wasn't like they were in darkness or life was awful. It was actually a place where, where they enjoyed being and life was good. It was just a great place to be. And the fact that these two little-known missionaries, nobodies would come and God will do something great, as we'll see later, is so interesting because the people weren't necessarily looking for the gospel, but Paul and Barnabas were led there by the Spirit and God was going to do something great. And just shows us tonight that even in America, when it doesn't seem like people always want to hear about Jesus, we never can forget that there's a reason why God has put us where he has put us. And there are people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. So Barnabas was from Cyprus, as we already said. The gospel had been preached in Cyprus. If you're there in Acts 11, it should be on the screen. You can just flip it back one, one page. Acts eleven nineteen. it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen, okay, so this is because of Saul, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So we see that because of Saul's stoning of Stephen, the gospel had come to Cyprus and a church had been started, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. So the Jews had been already there. And so we see this church had already been established and going. And now Barnabas and Paul are going back to that place. It had been started by men from Cyprus in verse 20. The Bible says some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So maybe they were in Jerusalem. And then when the stoning came, they said, hey, how about we leave the church of Jerusalem and go back to our hometown? And they went back there again. And so this church was probably already, there was a church probably already thriving. Barnabas and John Mark would later return to Cyprus in Acts 15. But we see a large Jewish population probably even several Jewish synagogues. So, of course, as Paul's nature was for the first parts of his ministry, was he would go to the synagogues and preach. It just made more sense to him. That's where he'd go. He would preach to the Jews, but also there would be Greeks. There would be other people that would come, as we've learned in the past. They would come, and they were interested in the Jewish religion. They were interested in the God of Israel. But they didn't always hear the gospel. But Paul obviously would always preach the gospel as we'll see in a little bit. And so we see that the ancient culture that Paul and Barnabas went to could have been a lot like America even today. It wasn't necessarily searching for the truth, but desperately needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Precept Austin says, when the effect of the gospel is all important in the church. The force of the gospel is unstoppable in the world. 
when the force, when the effect of the gospel is all important in the church, the force of the gospel is unstoppable in the world. In other words, when you get busy and stay busy, God will lead and God will, his gospel will not return, return again void. Years ago, there was a man who uh, heard, told the story about a speaker who went, had gotten saved and him and another man decided to travel in evangelism. They, they didn't have a tent, so they would build these little brush arbors out of sticks and flax or whatever they could, and they'd make these little places, and they would preach the gospel. And they never really felt like they got anywhere, but they felt like they were doing what God would have them to do. And one particular night they were preaching, it was not a nice evening, and the speaker went home disappointed. The size of the crowd was small. There was no one who responded to to the appeal for salvation, except for one person. They didn't even know it was there. This lady had pulled up in her car and she had an incurable illness and she couldn't walk very good. So she had stayed in her car with the windows rolled down and she was listening to the message and she heard about a man that, who had loved her and had given his life for her. And that man was God. It was Jesus in the flesh. And he died for her and wanted to save her. And when the speaker gave the invitation Not one person responded that he could see. But in that little old car with the windows rolled down, that little old woman with an incurable illness raised her hand and prayed and invited Jesus Christ into her life. No one saw, no one knew, but that lady knew. And that lady was this man's grandmother who was telling the story. Later on, her Grandfather, her husband, who was not a good man, very, very, not very rough of her, and just not a good man, he also gave his life to Christ. This man got called to be a church planner, and one day his sons became pastors, and both of his daughters married an evangelist. Indirectly or directly, because of her children and her spouses, thousands of people had accepted Christ as their Savior. All because one man was faithful in proclaiming the gospel in a little farm field in Oklahoma. No one would have looked at the tiny, dying bootlegger's wife in the back seat of a dirty old Ford that night and thought, now there's a world changer. And everyone would have been wrong. Because just like that woman, there's many others. We need to hear about Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch, a thriving ministry, doing very well. They were very key parts of it, but they felt like God was moving them to do more. And the Holy Spirit moves them to Cyprus, this, this, this island. And it's a very prosperous island. It's a place that had its own religion. And though it had Jewish synagogues, they didn't really think there was really much for them to do. But when they go, we see that God used them and the power of the gospel can never be stopped. Which brings me to number four. We see, of course, tonight, number one, and once again, a progression here. For those who want God to use them, number one, it takes the process of a local church. Are you allowing the local church to help develop you? grow into the person God needs to use you. And then second of all, the persuading of the Holy Spirit 
God will prick your heart. God will call you. God will move you to take that next step. Maybe for some, that next step is sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe the next step for you is tithing. Maybe the next step for you is discipleship. Maybe the next step for you is baptism. Maybe the next step for you is just accepting Christ as your Savior. Maybe the next step for you is starting a Sunday school class or helping on a bus route or maybe helping in the nursery or maybe even taking that next step of call, the call of God on your life to be a missionary or to be a pastor one day. I don't know what it is for you. But may I say, when the Holy Spirit guides, may we follow. And then third of all, we saw the potential of Cyprus. They go to an area, though it didn't seem like the best potential mission field, it was an area that the Holy Spirit wanted them to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what did they do? Well, number four, we see the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. The preaching of Paul and Barnabas. We see they go to the synagogues, of Salamis. Verse number five says, And when they are at Salamis, they preach the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. This is John Mark. So what happens? The missionary team, they land in Salamis. Of course, they go to Cyprus. Salamis was one of the major cities there. And they start preaching the gospel in the synagogue. This is their missionary strategy. They go to the cities, they go to the synagogues, and eventually, as we'll see a little bit uh, on Sunday night, they go to the Gentiles. At Salamis, the Roman influence was very apparent. They had a very beautiful forum, a gymnasium, public baths, a large theater, and a temple dedicated to Zeus. They had it all in their mind, and everything they needed. But in fact, Salamis was known for having the largest marketplace of all the colonies within the Roman Empire. It was a very uh, influential city. It was a city that seemed to have it all. But Paul and Barnabas preached the word. Marvin Vincent says, Katagalo, of course, is the Greek word, means to proclaim with authority as commissioned to spread the tidings throughout. It was the idea of celebrating and commending. It was, it was a loud hero. Hey, we gotta, you got to let you know about this. This is good news. This will change your life. And we see they preach the gospel in the synagogue of the Jews. Ramsey said there must have been a large Jewish colony in Salamis with more synagogues than one. And so what do they do? They go to the synagogues, the Bible says in verse 5. Not just one. There's probably several. And they go visit each one and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach the word of God. Barnabas probably was well known, maybe. He had been there before. But Paul, we had see would start with the Jews. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we see Paul and Barnabas, as soon as they land, and as we see in, uh, I believe, Acts 7, 17 or 18, when he's at Thessalonica, as his manner was, he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And teaching the Jews the true gospel, and helping them see the truth. Many years ago, there was a great missionary rally in Royal Albert Hall in London, England. There was a clergyman turned to the Duke of Wellington. Of course, the Duke of Wellington was known as the Iron Duke, and his armies had even defeated Napoleon. Powerful man. They said, My Lord Duke, do you believe in missions? Well, 
the Duke said, what are your marching orders? Of course, the Bible says to go into all the world, answered the clergyman. The Duke looks at him and says this, then you have nothing to say about it. As a soldier, you are to obey orders. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do. They didn't just go to Cyprus to hang out in a cool, nice resort area, nice temperatures. Well, they went for a reason. I've often thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would call me to that paradise land, you know? It never seemed to happen. But, but I'm thankful today that wherever there's people, there's a need. And there's times to go visit those nice little areas. And I'm thankful for those. God calls to those places. But he's put us here to reach this area for Christ. And may we be faithful to obey our marching orders. What's interesting to me is uh, Wikipedia says this. So it says it was verified, okay? But <laughs> it is church tradition, okay? <laughs> says that Barnabas preached in Alexandria and Rome and was eventually stoned to death in this very city of Salamis in about AD 61, which would be about 12 years after Barnabas and Paul visit here. He is considered the founder of the Church of Cyprus. In fact, he is looked at as such a great reason why this city even knew Christ that his bones are believed to be located in a nearby monastery named after him. And so tonight we see two men. God was using them in Antioch. No doubt. They were impacting that church for Christ, even that area. And God says, you know what? I got a good thing going here, and I know I'm using you. But you know, there's something else I have for you. I need you to go somewhere else. And Holy Spirit started tugging on their heart. Of course, the church had ordained them. The church had laid their hands on them, prayed and fasted, and sent them out. So they went. They went to Cyprus. It made the most sense to start with. And they go there. They follow the, the Spirit's leading. And then we see the potential of Cyprus. And though it was a, 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 seemed like it had everything they needed, it did not have a good gospel presence. So God used Paul and Silas to go to an area, not to vacation, not to enjoy the temperatures, not to enjoy the nice green-looking fields, even though they probably did do some of that. But I imagine as Paul's manner was, he got busy serving the Lord. May I encourage us tonight, no matter where you're at, you may be a newer Christian and saying, hey, I want to take that next step in my growth. Well, let's take that next step tonight. What's holding you back? I'll be honest with you. There's been many things in my life that's held me back from taking that next step. But you know what? Every time I've taken that next step, I'm so thankful I did. So what's holding you back tonight? What do you need to take? What step do you need to take tonight? I hope tomorrow not everyone comes up to me and says, well, God's calling me to paradise, okay? Paradise falls, right? We're going to get balloons, put it on a house. We're going to have a hose that takes us up and we'll guide it. No one's following, huh? Okay, a few of you are, all right. And paradise falls, all right? No, we're here. God has us here. But what's that next step in your Christian walk? What is it? And perhaps God's touched your heart tonight and Maybe it's a reminder to get back involved. Maybe it's to just rely on the Holy Spirit a little more. Uh, Perhaps maybe 
It's that walk with God needs to be renewed. You know, we can get so into ministry and, or whatever we do, we can forget the sweet time with God we used to have. I mean, we never do that. I mean, we stay close to God. And then maybe tonight you feel like God's tug on your heart to be in full-time ministry. May I say give in and allow God to use you. But may we never, never stay content where we are as far as comfortable what we're doing. May we always allow God to challenge us to do a little more for him. I believe if we'll do that, we can experience great things like Paul and Barnabas did. And I believe that God has you here for a purpose. Let's find that purpose. Let's figure it out. And let's allow God to do great things for us. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Well, these are such good people, core people. That's why they're here. And Lord, I admit, I believe most of them are serving you already. But maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to take that next step in, uh, and, and they're fulfilling their life's purpose. Well, maybe, they, maybe it is baptism. Maybe it's discipleship. Maybe it's Lord, figuring out how to get involved and plugged in. Maybe it's being re-energized or, or re-plugged it back in. Maybe it's uh, sharing the gospel. Maybe it's stepping out on faith and tithe. Maybe it's, uh, Lord, starting a class or teaching in the children's ministry or helping in the nursery, whatever the case may be. Or maybe be willing to take that next step. Maybe, Lord, we've possess certain possessed volunteers in our ministry. I pray that we'll allow them to follow the Lord's leading. And Lord, may we train and teach and, and, and raise up another generation of people who can serve the Lord as well. Uh, maybe tonight uh, we feel the Holy Spirit plugging on, tugging on our heart for something. May we listen to him. And may we allow him. May we not quench it. May we not grieve him. But may we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And maybe we learn tonight what it takes for the local church to greater impact a region. We see Antioch ends up becoming, reaching over 100,000 people. This church did because they were senders. And Lord, tonight we learn from Barnabas how he ended up getting martyred in the very area that he loved so much, that he started his first missionary journey in. Lord, here's a man who gave his life for you, and may we be willing as well to serve you. And I pray that we'll learn something tonight that will challenge us or help us. Maybe we'll walk away with some more information. Maybe we'll walk away with a lesson that we'll need later on. But I hope we can walk away instead being challenged and thankful for what you're doing in our life. And what we can do and decide in our life today. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano's going to play. And as the piano plays, may I encourage you to respond as God would have you to. Maybe you need to pray in your heart right now about something the Lord put on your heart. The altar's open. Maybe you'd like to take that next step or Talk to someone and maybe have someone pray with you. We'd be happy to. May we learn from Paul and Barnabas tonight. 
We learn for compassion for Portland, surrounding cities. May we embrace the biblical journey that God wants you to be on so he can use you. And may you be willing to always be taking that next step as he leads and guides. Sunday morning, we'll be back in Ruth again, but Sunday night, we're going to go on to verse 6, and we'll see as they go through all the synagogues in, the, in Cyprus, and after they do that, um, they oppose, get opposition, and usually with opportunity comes opposition, and then we'll see um, one of the most high-ranking officials on this island uh, get saved. And it's just a wonderful thing. So I hope you'll be back Sunday night and uh, uh, be back in your place on Sunday morning. Hope you have a great evening. Be safe as you travel home and get some rest. And uh, I'm sure many of you are have to be back at it again in the morning. Uh, God bless you. Please know uh, God loves you and this pastor loves you. I know this church staff loves you. And if anything, let us know. And I'm probably going to get you out a little early tonight. Um, but you know what? Enjoy some fellowship. You are dismissed. Thank you.